everybody, this is Dave Stelzel, and it's time for the Venture Advisor Podcast, and I am in Annapolis today, just got back from Atlanta, I was down there for a mastermind meeting, but while I was there, I had an opportunity to meet with Jay Haller, president of Touchstone Disaster Recovery, and um, by the way, we have some great things coming up, in fact, Jay is going to be conducting a, a deep dive uh, training class on disaster recovery and some of the opportunities that are, that are available to companies like yours if you're in the IT services industry. And I'll tell you what, the more you start thinking about the things that prohibit a company from doing business, the more valuable you're going to be. You know, I was thinking as I was meeting with Jay, we're talking about some of the some of the topics that we want to cover in July when we do that do that deep dive training. And in fact, there's going to be a uh, an essentials class happening this month in about a week on Monday next week. So, uh, and that's and I'm going to be covering some of the uh, just preliminary stuff in a very short uh, little training section that I do in the Jumpstart coaching calls that we do once a month with our insider circle. So, uh, so anyway, so so I wanted to get into this just for a moment to get you thinking about this. The 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 importance of technology today is largely tied to keeping people up and running. And you know, it's easy for us a lot of times to think about new functionality or to think about managed services in terms of maintenance and IT support, but really uptime and performance are the key things for a company. And a lot of times they don't really realize that until it's taken away from them. I was thinking back to a time in when I was working for a Bank of America at the time called Nations Bank, and we were rolling out the very first networks and uh, PCs. And a lot of these people had been working on older technology, maybe green screen. Some of them had older, uh, you know, the first generation IBM PCs with WordPerfect. And at, at some point in that rollout, in that several years rollout, when the networks were out and people had their WordPerfect up and running, and of course, this is, this is before there was anything like Windows, we did an evaluation of different Windows platforms, including OS 2, the early Macintosh computers, as well as Windows 3.0 in beta. And the, the the bank went with the Windows version. And of course, if you remember back then, Windows wasn't an operating, well, it's still not an operating system. But back then, it really wasn't an operating system. It sat on top of DOS. And, and when we rolled it out, we were thinking this is kind of a cool technology. It puts us, it puts us ahead of everybody else in, in the coolness factor of being a Windows platform with, you know, with the mouse and all that sort of thing. But it was new to the people that we were rolling it out to. And as an IT person, we really couldn't understand why people were so hesitant to adopt this technology. Looking back, I can see how much downtime we caused. We were rolling out a platform that in my opinion is still not stable. And back then it really wasn't stable. It was a beta version of the very first windows in the form that you see it today there was an older version the the version one version two if anybody's old enough to remember what windows looked like back then but it definitely wasn't the kind of windows that you that we use today but the one we rolled out that beta version i remember as having to reinstall that thing over and over and it created a lot of downtime the other thing it did was it took away all the shortcut keystrokes that all the admin people that could type you know 200 words a minute all of a sudden had to go back and forth from their mouse to their keyboard and all the shortcuts had changed. And of course, there's a lot of shortcuts built into Windows, but if you're a word perfect guru, you don't know those shortcuts. And we're teaching these classes 
and we're using the mouse to do it and they're complaining and we don't understand why. And the reason why is because we've taken away productivity. We've created more downtime. We've created a, a more difficult time consuming way to do their job. And it's turning into longer hours for them more costly to the company and certainly more costly to the individual in terms of personal time and productivity. So when I look at the technology we roll out today and I think about things like managed services and I think about other things that you could be offering, the one thing that really doesn't get talked about enough is the downtime, the business resilience would be the term that I think Jay's gonna use. And he's gonna introduce other terminology to us as we get into that in the uh, next week and into July when he comes on live and does that training. And so be looking for the announcements around that. But there's a big opportunity here because what his company's doing is they're going out and they are showing people how much downtime is likely. So if you, if you go back to my book, The House in the Cloud, and I talk about the impact likelihood graph in there, the measure of risk and how we should be measuring risk. We should be measuring risk in terms of the impact to the business and the likelihood that it will suffer some kind of disaster. And of course, any cybersecurity incident is a disaster, but there's other kinds of disasters as well. There's downtime from operational error, and there's, of course, downtime from environmental things and hardware and software failures and those sorts of things. They all create disasters, they all create downtime. And of course, whenever there's downtime in the equation, it is a security issue. Anything dealing with confidentiality, integrity, or availability. And in this case, of course, we're talking about the availability side of that thing. So business resilience becomes the important factor. And what Jay's company does is they go out and they, they open people's eyes to what the likelihood is that they will suffer some kind of disaster across any one of those things that I just mentioned. And then what they do is they test it. They evaluate it against an actual failover situation. So they actually set up the disaster and take that company through the process of failing over. And you know what? As he shared some of these instances with me where they've gone in and done this, and they recommend that the companies they're working with do this thing quarterly, that many of these companies fail the test. They try to fail over. In fact, he there was one company recently that he was working with trying to fail over a uh, production system. And this is a reservation system. It needs to be up 24 hours a day. Whenever it's down, they lose thousands of dollars. And you know what? The executive leadership of that company knows how much they lose. So he has a number that he's working with. And every hour that they are down, he can compute that and say, that's going to cost you another X thousands of dollars. This is immediate justification when we start thinking about it this way. The problem is that the business leaders that he was working with were confident that their failover program would work. And it was only when he showed them the likelihood, got them to agree to test it, that he was able to prove that their disaster, disaster recovery plan was a failure. And this same thing is gonna hold true for the likelihood that somebody's gonna get hit with ransomware, going to have their data stolen, which of course isn't downtime, but it's another cost, another hiccup in the, in the whole IT process. And these are the things that we need to wake up leaders with because this is what creates urgency, but it also creates differentiation. If you look at the companies that that Touchstone is going into and calling on and doing these tests with, a lot of these companies haven't tested for a long period of time. 
Which brings me to you know one of the surveys that I constantly take when I go out and I do lunch and learn meetings. I always ask for a raise of hands. Who's done a risk assessment in the last 12 months? In fact, I did did one of these lunch and learn events just about a week ago up in New Jersey. I took that poll. I think there was one person in the room. Or actually, I think there were three people in the room who had had some kind of risk assessment. But I asked them to keep their hands up if they had an impact likelihood graph, and only one of them did. And you know what? I wonder if he really does or he just wanted to raise his hand because I have hardly ever seen a risk assessment report that actually has a measure of risk on it. Most technical people tell me we can't really do that or we don't want to be held to that. We don't want to be liable for it. But the fact is the executive leadership needs to know what that likelihood looks like. And of course, yeah, it's a statistic. It's a guess. It's your professional opinion. It's whatever it is. You know, it's not a, a fact in the same way that it's not a fact that, you know, there's some likelihood that you'll have some kind of disease or that you'll get into some kind of accident. You may go the rest of your life without ever having any sort of accident or disease or what have you. But the point is, there is a statistic out there and it's based on the trends. It's based on the environmental factors. It's based on maybe genetics, whatever it's based on. I'm not a healthcare professional, but there is a statistic out there that gives you a feel for what's going to happen when you go see your doctor and your doctor says, you need to change your diet, you need to get on an exercise plan, you need to do whatever you need to do. And most of us, when we hear that statistic, it means something and we do it. We, you know, A lot of us take action if it sounds true, if it seems real. That's what causes us to move into action, to make changes into our lives. And that's what these business leaders need. They need a statistic. They need a graph. They need a measure that tells them how urgent this thing is. And when they see that, it's a whole lot more effective than coming in and saying, hey, we can even out your billings. We can you know, take over your IT, outsource it. Maybe it's cheaper. Maybe it's not. But the last thing you want is for that company to go through some kind of financial audit to figure out if you're less expensive, only to have one of your comp competitors come along next year when it's time for a renewal and show them that they can save them even more money with potentially less functionality, less skill set, less whatever. But the fact is, the whole argument's been based on finances and not on business resilience. And that leads to churn, loss of business, reduced margins, shrinking business, flat MRR growth. And these are all things that none of us want, but not only do we not want them, it's not good for your prospects. So start talking about business resilience. Again, this is Dave Stelzel, author of The House in the Cloud. By the way, you can get a copy of The House in the Cloud right now for a limited time. And we are going to change this, by the way. But right now, you can get it at davidstelzel.net forward slash HC offer, like House in the Cloud, HC offer. davidstelzel.net forward slash HC offer. $1. We'll pay the shipping. Thank you.